to the 2018 um, Fab Academy. The, the, we're, <laughs> I'm laughing and the start is a minute or two late because we moved to a new platform uh, for video conferencing this year. In past years, we've used a giant video bridge, about a half million dollar installation, but it was very hard to connect to. We're now using um, a Blue Jeans as a cloud video bridge that uses a WebRTC protocol that's very easy to connect to, and we've been testing it for months, and they just rolled out an update that broke screen sharing. Um, so in all the other classes, you'll see a video of the presenters and everybody else, and then you'll see a shared screen. Today, the shared screen is going to be a combination of word pictures, and I'm going to tell you where to go in your computers to follow along. Um, that'll only be for today. Um, we're, we're somewhere between amused and horrified to have this last minute issue come up. But we're at the Fab Academy. Um, if you go to fabacademy.org, there's a link to the class archive. <clears throat> if you go to the class archive, there's a link to 2018. And then you'll see the site for the Fab Academy in 2018. Uh, on that page, um, which, here, um, this is ridiculous, but, um, we, uh, if you go to the Fab Academy site, there's a class archive and then 2018. And so, um, oh, and then here, while I'm doing it, you can see the snow in Boston. Um, uh, on that page, there's a schedule. There's a link to the videos of the lectures. There's a link to all of the labs. There will be links to student pages. Then there's a document repository that has tutorials, handbooks, and assessment. Um, there's a link to prior years, and there's a search engine for the Fab Academy. Um, what I'm going to do now is if you go into the schedule, um, the very first class has a link to principles and practices. And if you go into that, there's a presentation on digital fabrication. So I'm going to um, open that. And about the first hour of this class is going to be, um, I'm going to take you on a tour of what digital fabrication is and what this class is. And um, I'll narrate, you can follow along with this presentation locally. Um, after that, um, I'll go through some of the rights and responsibilities and some of the procedures for the class and the schedule for the class. Uh, then halfway through, we have a bio break. And then after the bio break, we'll come back. We have a few final presentations. Uh, I'll introduce class staff. Um, and then we're going to do a fun lap around the world and meet all the labs participating. Okay. Um, so 
if you go to the second slide, um, uh, so starting here to follow along in the presentation, um, sorry, let me get the camera, please. Um, this is a class about a digital, about digital fabrication and a digital revolution in fabrication. Um, that has an easy meaning and a deep meaning. And it's going to take about an hour to explain what is digital fabrication, what are fab labs, what is the fab academy. So phones went from analog to digital. Phones used to degrade with distance. Now we have the internet we're using to talk to each other. Computers used to degrade with time, believe it or not. And now we have digital computers. We're now living through a digital revolution in fabrication. So next slide. Um, Gordon Moore in 1964 or 65 made the most famous graph in history. Um, those are five data points. And he was counting the numbers of transistors or the number, you know, the number of elements on an integrated circuit. And he noticed they were doubling. And so he, they lined up on a straight line. And he wrote an amazing article. I really recommend you read it. It's called Cramming More Components Onto Integrated Circuits. So this article in 1965, he forecasts what if this doubling continued for um, 10 years. It's an amazing article, really brilliantly foreseeing much of what happened. Because in fact, what happened is he went on to co-found Intel. And on the next slide, what I'm showing is the number of transistors and many other measures doubled for 50 years. Now, on a linear plot, it looks like nothing's happening and there's a revolution. On a, on a log plot where you measure doubling, it lines up and you can see it's a straight line. And so it looked like there was a revolution in information technology, but all the way back in 1965, you could see it lines up on a straight line, meaning it's doubling. So the real reason we're here today, the bottom plot is, um, this has come to be called Lass's Law after Sherry Lassiter, who you'll meet after the break. Um, this is the number of fab labs and fab labs have been doubling for a decade, over a thousand. There's more data than Gordon Moore had. And so we're 10 years into the doubling of digital fabrication. And so what I'm going to spend the next hour talking about is what happens if this continues for 50 years? And what does it mean today that this is going to continue for the next 50 years? Uh, next slide. So connecting computers to machines was invented in 1952 at MIT. It's, it's actually a messy, complex, interesting history. Uh, but uh, next slide, what you're looking at in the top picture is the whirlwind. This is was a project at MIT that made essentially the first real-time computer. 
um, it was originally for a flight simulator, then for um, missile safe missile defense. It was a computer that could respond in real time. Just around then, jet aircraft were emerging, and the parts were too hard to make by hand. And so there was this idea that you could take a real-time computer and connect it to a machine and turn the cranks. And that was kind of a radical step. Um, it was connecting two unrelated things. Um, but that was the birth of computer-controlled machining. So that's the first computer-controlled machine tool. So this, that was done at MIT in 1952. Um, around that time, next slide, um, that's Vannevar Bush. And he invented the post-war science establishment. He's, he's responsible for the National Science Foundation. Um, and at, at MIT, he made, this is one of the last great analog computers. It was gears and uh, uh, shafts. And the, the more it turned, the more the answer accumulated errors. So next slide, one of the students who worked with him was Claude Shannon. And he was so frustrated by working on an analog computer that accumulated errors that in his master's thesis at MIT, he invented our modern notion of digital logic. So this is the best master's thesis ever. And he went on to show that by using a symbol to communicate, you can communicate reliably with an unreliable device. And then John von Neumann applied that to computing. So to understand that, digital doesn't mean one and zero. The real meaning of digital is much more subtle and more profound. It's a scaling property. What Shannon and von Neumann showed is by using a symbol in the communication or the computer, for a linear increase in the physical resources representing the symbol, the error drops as an exponential. And so a linear physical increase gives an exponential reduction in error. And that relationship is what means you can communicate or compute reliably with unreliable devices. And so those are the ideas that are behind the digital revolution. So what does it have to do with fabrication, which is what we're here for today? We're here to make stuff. Well, digital fabrication, next slide, was invented 4 billion years ago. So what I'm showing on this slide is how you're constructed. You're made from 20 parts called amino acids. The amino acids are like molecular Lego. Um, they have properties like they retract, attract or repel water, um, that their bases are acids, and they're just like molecular Lego, and there's 20 of them. And the ribosome is a molecular assembler that bolts them together to make your parts. And this system does everything a digital computer does. Um, if you mix chemicals, the, you might get a yield of, a, a, say, a 1% waste. When the ribosome makes a protein, it makes an error in 1 in 10 to the 4. When you copy DNA, it makes an error in 1 to 10 to the 8 by doing more error checking. And that 
that's the same exponential property. So what makes you possible is you're made digitally. You're made by a code in your construction. Um, so next slide. The casual meaning of digital fabrication is a computer controlling a tool to make something. The deep meaning is actually coding the construction of materials themselves. And what I'm going to talk about is how that relates to the lab around you today. So I direct, um, and uh, Sherry's part of the Center for Bits and Atoms at MIT, which was created to do research at this boundary between digital and physical. And that's some of our papers. And the next slide is some of the people who have done that work. Um, Uh, Neil, can can you see my screen? No. But can anybody else? Nope. No. No. Sorry. Um, the the server. Sorry, I was in the other conference, but I actually found out a way to s replace my video feed with my desktop on Mac. Okay. So I can connect to that conference, not this one. I'm being very unclear. And then share my screen. Um, it, if you can take over, but I think people okay. are able to follow along. Um, okay. I think, uh, you know, for this class only, this can be done with word pictures and people following along. And then, you know, it, if we don't quickly fix this, I'll turn the VNC back on for the next one. Yep. Okay. So um, to go to go on. Um, to do the research, to understand where Fab Labs came from, um, uh, uh, to do the research, um, the facility we run at MIT and the Center for Bits and Atoms, you can think of as a $10 million Fab Lab. It has one of every kind of tool to make just about anything. And so those are the research tools to develop digital fabrication. Um, then I had a problem, which was it would take too long to take classes to learn to use all those tools. So some colleagues and I started a class called How to Make Almost Anything. And it was aimed at just a few research students. But every year, hundreds of students come wanting to get in the class. That was the first surprise. Then the next surprise is what they did. Um, uh, you can watch the videos later, but um, Kelly was a sculptor. and without a traditional engineering background, she made a device that plays a scream, records a scream when you're mad, and plays your scream back later. And the next picture is a web browser for parrots. Parrots have the cognitive ability of a young child, and they go crazy left home alone. And so it's a web browser that lets parrots surf the internet. Um, there's an alarm clock you wrestle with, and you have to prove that you're awake. And that next one is a dress with sensors and spines, and it defends your personal space if somebody gets too close. And every year, these amazing projects happened in the class until I began to realize that something really profound was happening, um, that uh, the students were answering a question I didn't ask. Um, I was asking how to do digital fabrication. They were showing why to do digital fabrication. And so 
um, there's an interesting historical parallel. Um, and go, go back later and watch the video of Kelly's screen body. It's, it's really fun. The real-time computer, the whirlwind, that was used to make the first computer-controlled machine, um, then got transistorized. So MIT made the TX. So that was the first big transistorized computer. Then the TX, in turn, was used to create the PDP. Next slide. And so on this next slide, um, this may look like ancient history, but what's happening in this picture is um, uh, that's uh, um, Ken Thompson, Dennis Ritchie at Bell Labs, and they're inventing Unix on a PDP. Um, this is the birth of modern computing operating systems. So at this stage in the history of computing, email, the internet, video games, word processing, all those things you do today, they weren't invented after the iPhone. This is the moment when they were all invented, when a computer went from filling a building to um, something that filled a room and a, a work group could use. Now, so the, the whirlwind became the TX, became the PDP, and that was used to invent the internet. Um, here's the amusing story, though. Um, uh, the person who commercialized that was Ken Olson. Digital equipment made the PDPs, again, that were used to create the internet, and they created the whole mini computer industry. Um, here he is famously saying, next slide, um, just to follow along, this is what I'm up to. Um, he famously said, um, nobody needs a computer at home. Um, when personal computers came, the whole mini computer industry considered them to be toys and failed. So um, one of the sites doing Fab Academy is at SolidWorks in Waltham. Up and down the highway from there was Wang Prime Deck Data General, the whole mini computer industry on that highway. They all failed when computing became personal. The mini computer industry couldn't, couldn't respond to the idea of personalizing computing. And so what the projects in the How to Make class were showing to me was that just as the killer app for digital computing was personal computing, the killer app for digital fabrication is personal fabrication. So next slide, there's a hierarchy. I have million dollar research tools that we use to develop technology for $100,000 manufacturing tools that you can use to make $10,000 manufacturing tools that make $1,000 manufacturing tools that make $100 manufacturing tools. And so there's a similar sort of hierarchy as there was in computing. And so next slide, that led to the Fab Lab project. And so at the beginning, there was one real-time computer. There was one computer-controlled manufacturing machine. Today, next slide, there are um, about 1,000 Fab Labs. And here's what's interesting about this historical moment to understand where you are. A thousand is 
roughly the number of cities on Earth. So there's roughly one fab lab per city today. There were on the order of thousands of mini computers. And the fab lab you're in today is just like a mini computer in that your fab lab, you might not think about it this way, but the equipment weighs two tons and it costs about $100,000. That's what it is today. And in the same way, the mini computer weighed tons and cost $100,000. But crucially, it fit in a room so a work group could use it, not a whole corporation, and you could invent video games in the internet. So in the same way, you should view the, the lab around you, not as a bunch of different machines, but the whole lab is one machine. And later I'll talk about how to smush them all together. Um, so uh, next slide. I'm now gonna talk about Fab Labs. The next slide is a video from Bob Dylan's son, Jesse. You can go back and play it later. And it's an introduction he made to Fab Labs. Uh, next slide. Uh, um, I'll skip over that for here. Um, the, the, um, I'm going to open a local copy of the presentation since so many people are viewing it. Um, if I, um, if I, um, if I um, talk now. Jami Shao, feedback, yep. If I, if I, if I. Feedback. Have you made yourself like the main presenter, Neil? Uh, I have not, but what do you want to do? Sorry, I didn't hear that. Uh, uh, t t tell me what you want, Jean-Michel. If, if you can see my screen, you should see yourself now because I'm sharing my screen. Uh, I, I, I don't see you, um, but I, I don't see you. I'll, I'll go on. Given that this is just narrating a presentation, people can follow along locally um, and, and we'll fix for the next one. Um, so in the next which slide, slide are you on? go ahead. Which slide are you on? Uh, this is Puneet from AKDC. Okay, the, I'm up to this slide. 13. Okay. Um, so uh, that's a fab lab today, but crucially it's only a fab lab today. And I'm gonna talk about what these turn into. This in fact is the original fab lab in Bespinair with uh, Frosty and colleagues. And again, it's about a $100,000 investment, 10 or so processes. One of the things you'll learn is it includes 3D printing but 3D printing is only one of the many processes and in some ways is the least exciting one you'll learn about um, this year. Uh, next slide. Um, and so the next slide shows what you can make in a fab lab. And so there's boats, bicycles, furniture, electronics, uh, production tooling, consumer appliances. Um, everything you see on that screen in this class, you're gonna learn how to make in your lab. Um, one machine can't do all of this, but the collection of machines and skills in the lab 
will let you make everything on that slide. This class will teach you how to make everything you're looking at. Uh, next slide. So we originally set up one lab with um, uh, Mel I'm King. Sorry. I'm very sorry, but uh, the, it glitches the slide. Uh, it can't go further than the video. It's happening to another person also. Um, sorry, th that you can't progress beyond the slides? Next, the video that was coming next, it yep. stops there and then it won't go further. It's like, it, I can't. Okay. Well, what you can do is if you go, um, I'm, let's see, I, I, I don't want to debug in real time, but if you go to that presentation link, I gives you an index and you can jump to any slide. If you're stuck on one slide, I gives you an index and you can jump ahead. I'm on slide 24 right now. So Mel King was one of the leaders of community activism in Boston. He was a pioneer who um, helped introduce the idea of community cable television, then community computing, then community internet. And we did the first fab lab with him to create rather than consume technology. And then they started to spread. We didn't plan this, but Hawken uh, Carlson was a herder in North Norway working on nomadic herding uh, with changing land use. Kalbag ran research for Hindustan Lever and then moved to um, a remote part of India, Pabal, or not so remote anymore, which is now one of the Fab Lab sites. And so these pioneers helped bring Fab Labs into their communities. Next slide. Um, so th this is the current map of over a thousand Fab Labs and um, doubling every year and a half. We didn't plan that, but every year they spread. And so next slide, it's part of the bigger make making movement, but it's a very curated part that's a network. And so next slide, just a tour. One of these is Blair, who's connected right now in Detroit. Hi, Blair. Um, and Blair's Insight Focus is doing all sorts of transform. Well, we're gonna meet um, labs after the break, um, transforming Detroit in all kinds of ways by bringing in digital fabrication technology. Um, this is one with the Cook Inlet Tribal Council in Alaska, mixing, there's great cultural traditions, but also serious issues with Alaska natives, mixing traditional crafts with modern digital fabrication. Next slide. This is one at Haystack in Maine, which is a arts colony that takes traditional craft, but merges it but has a fab lab for digital fabrication. Um, next slide, this is an amazing one we opened um, this year um, as a uh, SolidWorks help support collaboration with CBA. And I'm standing next to the prime minister of Bhutan who did an amazing TED talk about Bhutan. Bhutan is based on not gross national product, how much money you make, but um, gross national happiness. And that doesn't mean they're all happy. It means they're very, very careful about measuring well-being. Are you healthy? Are you stressed? How is the quality of your life? And the goal of the country is not to make more money, but to improve the quality of life. But the physical stuff they consumed would be trucked in from India or China. And so Fab Lab there is taking gross national happiness and making it physical, giving them the means to produce what they consume locally. Um, next slide is a project in Peru with Benno and colleagues 
Um, he grew up in the Amazon jungle where, as Benno describes it, the career choices were farmer, soldier, or terrorist, and he picked none of the above. Um, helped start a fab lab in uh, Peru, Lima, and now is working on a floating fab lab to bring um, emerging digital fabrication with um, sustainability in traditional communities. Um, next slide is fab lab at the boundary of um, what's called the Peace Wall, which was historically the War Wall at the Protestant Catholic boundary in Northern Ireland, where kids come from both sides and could care less about sectarian conflict and work together in the lab. Next slide. Um, this is a lab Ohad started in Israel at a mixed community outside Tel Aviv and Holon. Uh, next slide. And so those are what some of the fab labs look like. Um, nobody's pushing anybody to make a fab lab, but they started getting pulled into all of these remarkable places all around the world. But then we had a problem. So on the left is Hans Christian at, at Hawkins Lab, which is so far north in Norway that satellite dishes look at the ground, not at the sky. It's a few hours above the Arctic Circle. Um, Hans Christian was considered a problem in the Lingsidet school system because he knew everything the teachers were teaching him and maybe didn't behave as well. And so in the lab, I showed him some sample projects. And the next time I saw him in the lab, on uh, my next trip, he was designing robot trucks from scratch. Or this is Chapiso in what was an apartheid era township in, in South Africa, Soshangovi. Um, she was doing the work of my MIT classes using the Fab Lab. And so traditionally, these kids would fall off a cliff. There wasn't educational opportunity locally. They'd be told you have to go away now. And so that led to the Fab Academy project. And so the Fab Academy was started not to bring them to a central location, not to look online, but to do distributed education. And so um, the key to what you're doing today, starting today, is your students, you have peers, you're in work groups locally, you're surrounded by machines with mentors, then we link you globally by video and content sharing. Now, the next slide is a video that I, I do want to play this video. So if you start the um, video playing, um, what you'll see is this was homework from the Fab Academy. So Guillaume wanted food. And so in the beginning, he could just make a sketch of an aquaponic system. Then he learns CAD tools and he's doing simple design. Then he's learning prototyping and he's making a model. Then he's learning large format machining. and He's making a big model. Then he's doing the instrumentation, the plumbing. Around here, he's learning about um, designing electronics, uh, programming processors, interfacing sensors. And so here's his Aquaduino, a processor to run the system. Um, introducing fish in the aquaponic system. And then around week 16, I love this image. Um, this is uh, Guillaume eating lettuce from his aquaponic system uh, that he made. Uh, this is at a green fab lab in Valdora outside Barcelona in a forest. Um, and so this wasn't a business, it wasn't a team, it wasn't a startup. It was taking all the skills you'll be learning in the class 
and bringing them together in a final project um, to make aquaponics. Each week there's a skill we'll cover and then there's a final project that'll merge them. And this is a great example of that. So next slide, a number of these class projects have become businesses or organizations. Uh, Aquapioneers is developing the aquaponics. Uh, Tomas Diaz's sensor became a smart citizen platform. Um, Chirag and Aldu made drones that became the Nero platform. Um, a number of businesses all came out of just homework assignments in the Fab Academy, um, uh, uh, skills that you'll be learning. Next slide. So as that began to grow, we appreciated that what we had created wasn't, was a distributed educational platform that could be used for more than digital fabrication. So my colleague, George Church and uh, Jean-Michel helped start and David Kong, a class, not how to make almost anything, but how to grow almost anything, a bio academy where you use digital fabrication to make a bio lab and then teach biotechnology. And that'll be running this fall and we'll have a recitation uh, where they'll come and talk about it, um, where you learn um, biotechnology. Another new class uh, is Fabricademy, a textile academy um, where it's digital fabrication meeting, meeting textiles using this infrastructure. And so next slide, um, in computing terms, you can think of MIT as a mainframe. It, it works, but it's only a few thousand people and you have to go there to use it. Online classes are like time sharing. There's a central educational mainframe still and you're a terminal connected to it. Um, the BitNet failed when the internet came. The BitNet, you had to grow at the center with mainframes. The internet, you grew at the edges. In the same way, the Fab Academy, it's, it's an educational network. It's not central, it's not online, it's distributed. But the internet works because there's standards so all the computers can connect. In the same way, what's in each of your labs um, changes as the technology changes, but in a coordinated way so that people and projects are shared so anything you do in any of your labs can be shared with anybody else. So what we're doing here isn't obvious. It's, it's an educational network. It's a dis distributed network for learning. Um, one of my mentors at MIT was Seymour Papert, who's um, the pioneer in computers and learning. And um, under him, people like Alan Kay studied who went on to create modern computer interfaces. Um, but from the very beginning, Seymour wanted kids to not just use computers, but actually create computers. And so um, late in his life, he commented that he saw fab labs as the fulfillment of what he was trying to accomplish in technology and learning where kids could not just learn to use technology, but kids could learn to create technology. Uh, next slide. So as this Fab Lab network has grown, um, they started meeting. And so in 2014, the meeting was hosted in Barcelona, um, which is 
joined today. Uh, Barcelona has a fabulous design sense, but has had over 50% youth unemployment. And so a colleague who helped start that lab, Vicente Gallart, became the city architect. Um, Antonio Trias was the mayor. Um, Tomas Diaz was one of the founders. You'll meet Luciana. And they started putting fab labs in every district in the city. You could use it to start a business, but more than that, you could use it to produce what you consume as part of the sustainability of the city. In the same way a city provides electricity or clean water, this is now providing digital fabrication as part of urban infrastructure. And so at the meeting, next slide, um, skipping the video, um, what I'm showing there is Mayor Trias starting a countdown. It's a 40-year countdown to urban self-sufficiency, to the idea that Barcelona should produce what it consumes. Now, it's not a step, it's a ramp. It's a few percent a year, and it's not protectionism. The idea is to do this, they have to be globally connected for knowledge. Um, the way they think about Barcelona today is it's a product to trash conversion device. Products go in one side and trash goes out the other side. Instead, what they want is they want the bits to come and go, but the atoms to stay. They want the city to sustainably produce what it consumes each year, taking over a few more percent of that production. So that commitment then led to a Fab City project. A growing group of cities and now countries around the world are signing up they don't all get a separate clock, they're on the same clock. They're all on the Barcelona clock, um, but it's this 40-year countdown. And so one of the, the fulfillments of the Fab Lab project is this idea of um, uh, Fab Cities, sustainable cities that can produce what they consume. Closely related to that is also not helping but reversing urbanization to make local places sustainable. Um, Yogesh Kalkarni, who runs the Pabal Fab Lab, um, nicely describes India has huge issues with urbanization. The Pabal Lab actually has fresh air. It's in a nice setting. And people are getting pulled away from cities to come to sustainable local communities. Um, and so the current state of this Barcelona project is the Barcelona Fab Lab you'll meet after the break is in um, the Poblenau district. And they're now turning that into a whole maker district of the city. And there's been a lot of press covering Catalan separatism versus nationalism. And sort of away from all of this, they're getting on with the business of inventing the future of the city, not by creating traditional jobs, but by empowering consumers to become creators that you can produce what you consume. Now, if you look at what happened to to music or software or any of these other digital transformations, it doesn't replace mass manufacturing, but it fills in all of these tiers in between that weren't viable before. And so Barcelona has been a real pioneer in that. Um, Next slide, this is showing Sherry and I and colleagues set up a mobile fab lab at the White House in the Obama administration. This is right outside the window of the Oval Office um, as part of the White House celebrating this transition to making. The foreground was, this is exciting, um, empowering. 
But the background to this event was, remember when PCs came, it killed traditional computing. In the same way, personal manufacturing is going to displace traditional manufacturing, was the subtext to that event. Um, the next slide is followed by a video I won't play, you can do later. Um, this is Congressman Bill Foster. He's one of the few scientists in Congress. And inspired in part by the Barcelona project, he's putting in legislation to create a national fab lab network in the US for universal access to digital fabrication in the same way that there's a notion of universal access to telecommunications is viewing digital fabrication as sort of a, almost a human right, as a right anybody should have access to. Um, very interesting legislation. It's not giving money, it's chartering it as being in the national interest. So I'll skip that video. Um, next slide shows um, for the launch of the UN's uh, global um, uh, development goals, we ran a fab lab at the United Nations. Um, that helped grow into a global humanitarian lab where the idea is instead of dealing with humanitarian relief by sending solutions, you can use the fab lab network and digital fabrication to send data and locally produce solutions. And early on, I was at an event, for example, with the UN's head of humanitarian relief, and she seemed kind of upset to have this technology getting in the way because she was dealing with refugees who don't have economic opportunity, don't have a limited educational opportunity, limited entertainment, struggling with all of those. And what nobody was doing was providing the tools for local problem solving. And so this global humanitarian lab was launched with the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees and the International Committee of the Red Cross. They were going to create a whole separate lab network, but instead it's a collaboration to use this global lab network to deliver humanitarian relief. And we'll have them come in for one of the recitations to talk about um, that program. Uh, the next year, all the labs came to MIT for Fab 11. Um, uh, th this is one of my favorite annual events. This is where the graduation for Fab Academy happens because it has people north, south, east, west, male, female, rich, poor, sort of every axis you can think of, but it's all sort of the same person. It's this amazing coming together um, from all around the world. So that was at MIT. Um, the year after that, it was in Shenzhen, the, the heart of Chinese manufacturing. And there's, um, this is where they make products like Samsung. But if you zoom in, you'll see they also make uh, what are called Shanzai. So that's a Samsung as well as a Samsung. They make all of these. They seem like knockoffs, but the knockoffs include all kinds of innovation missing in the traditional products. And there's this amazing pivot because the Chinese Shenzhen manufacturing ecosystem really gets that if Barcelona produces what it consumes, you don't need China to mass produce for them. But there's a crucial role for mass manufacturers making the things that help local manufacturing. So there's a really interesting collaboration between the maker movement and fab labs and the, the, um, the volume manufacturers helping each other. Um, uh, 
2017, all the labs came to Chile for a wonderful event. And then um, 2018, it's going to be hosted in France. There's a Fab City Summit in Paris. There'll be events at regions all over France. And then the Fab um, 14 meeting of uh, workshops and tutorials and projects happens in Toulouse. And that's where the Fab Academy graduation will be for this year. Um, the year after that, it's going to be in Egypt with a great team hosting, and the year after that in Canada. Okay. Uh, next slide. Um, and so as the network grew, um, I'm up to slide 55. Um, a FAB Foundation spun off for operational capacity, and Sherry runs that. You'll meet her after the break. Um, FAB Labs IO emerged as a portal and as a community platform to find and track labs. And Tomas Diaz um, runs that. Next slide. And the way you can understand that is the internet is actually run by a very small group of people called the Internet Architecture Board that actually manages the standards that runs the internet. And all of these groups, IAB, IETF, ICANN, all of the groups that kind of run the internet emerged in the mini computer era. So in the same sense, the technology around you is going to become obsolete. And I'm going to talk about that now. But the Fab Foundation and the Fab Academy and Fab Cities, those are going to live on. As the technology gets faster and better and cheaper, the technology will change. But the, the real kind of project here is inventing if anybody can make anything anywhere, what are the organizations? Over and over we found we've had to invent the Fab Academy because traditional schools couldn't do it and the Fab Foundation because traditional aid groups couldn't do it. We had to keep inventing new organizations to keep up with the growth. And so this distributed educational model is a new model that'll continue on as the technology itself evolves. So next slide. Now I'm going to start projecting. That's where we are today. Now I'm going to start projecting into the future. So the, on slide 57, the um, computer is the Altair. That was the first computer a person could own. When it first came out, all you could do is flip switches to load a program and watch the lights blink. But it was life-changing for people like me. A company called Micro-Soft started on this, Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer. The first meeting of the Homebrew Computer Club that led to Apple um, was started when that came out. A whole generation of computing pioneers got started on that. Um, we're now going from a thousand to a million fab labs. A million is the number of towns on earth. And to get to a million fab labs, it's not um, spending a hundred thousand dollars in two tons, but it's a thousand dollars. So how do we get there? Well, next slide. What I'm showing is periodically, I started teaching a class, not how to make almost anything, but how to make something that makes almost anything, a class on rapid prototyping of rapid prototyping. So these are all sorts of rapid prototyping machines made with the rapid prototyping machines. Um, uh, there's a video I'll skip over for now showing a whole fab facility in a briefcase. 
um, those projects led to a number of companies. So Form Labs and Schaefer and Other Mill and HandyBot are all commercial versions of those machines. But it wasn't successful in getting Fab Labs making Fab Labs. The, the goal is for a Fab Lab to make a Fab Lab. So you don't buy one, you go to a Fab Lab to make one. But it was too hard to do. So on the next slide, the, we were making a mistake, which is software used to be written as a big program. Software is now written in objects, and each object has code, data, methods, interfaces. And when you learn modern programming, you learn to combine those objects in the same way that rather than making a machine that's just a machine that does one thing, we started making modular software that interface to modular hardware that lets you rapidly make machines. And so the video um, shows a modular machine construction, but if you go to the next slide, 61, uh, this is Jens Dievik. Um, he's a designer from uh, uh, Norway. Uh, he spent two years as a fab nomad touring fab labs. What's happening in the picture in the upper right is after visiting Japan, um, that's Obama's grandmother in uh, Kisumu in Western Kenya. And he's making, he's giving Obama slippers from a design in Japan, rapidly prototyped for Obama's grandmother. Um, Jens went back to Oslo and started Felswerkstedt that's done a beautiful job of taking the work of my student Nadia Peek, um, form, now former student Nadia Peek, and taking the modular machines, but turning that into a parametric design framework. And so what you're looking at there is a rapid prototyping machine that can make almost all of its own parts. And so it's a parametric design of a modular construction. And we'll talk about all of this in the class but it's good enough to be able to make almost all of its own parts on the machine. And so next slide, um, one of my current students, Jake, who's a master machine builder, then took Jens's design and made an even easier to use um, version. And so this is a machine design framework that then lets you parametrically design a machine, output the parts, assemble the machine together, and it could print or cut, or in a how to make class in the lower right, um, uh, this is a Makey Cakey. It's a programmable pancake plotter to do grayscale images in computer controlled pancake production uh, as a one week uh, machine building project. And so about halfway through the class, you're gonna do this. You're gonna conceive of a machine and as a group project, make the parts and assemble the machine. And so um, this is um, the next step in the life of Fab Labs is this kind of framework where you don't start from scratch and you don't buy a machine, but it, it lets you compose designs and parts and make your machines. And so we're right now at a transition. We're coming to the end of purchasing Fab Labs and we're right at the beginning of Fab Labs making Fab Labs. And so one of the most important things we're going to cover in this cycle is introducing machine building and helping get your lab started in making machines to make more fab labs. And once again, there's a lot of bad beginner machine building 
what's emerging like the internet and like Fab Labs is curating a collaboration for best global practices and how to make high performance machines that you can make in the lab. So going for, pushing forward, um, from a million, there were a billion computers. A billion computers happened when computers became smartphones. And um, a billion is the number of, is on the order of the number of people on earth. And so now we're gonna get to a billion fab labs. That sounds crazy. But what I mean by that is not a billion two-ton rooms, but a billion equivalent. Um, the phone I'm holding is more powerful than the mini computer. Everything the mini computer could do is in this phone. So in the same sense, the question now is, how do you get access to the capabilities of the fab lab without the room around you? So next slide, um, 64, I'm showing on the top is the inventory in a fab lab and the bottom is a zoom in on part of it. You can make almost anything today, but you need this inventory. You need all this stuff, electronic parts, resins, tooling, all sorts of stuff. And that's what we have to get rid of. We have to get rid of this huge supply chain that supplies your lab. And so next slide, um, you're gonna learn to design and make electronics. Um, the vendor I use, DigiKey, stocks 500,000 capacitors, not an inventory, it's 500,000 different types of capacitors and 500,000 different types of resistors, even though conceptually those just have simple properties conducting and insulating. So in the kind of research we've been doing at CBA, what we've been studying is micro Lego, how to actually digitize the materials. And so Lego bricks work just like amino acids that I introduced at the beginning. You don't need a ruler to play with Lego. The geometry comes from the parts. The Lego is more accurate than the child because you can detect and correct errors. Um, you can join dissimilar Lego bricks and Lego doesn't go in the trash. You can take it apart and use it again. Those are digital properties. And so on the next, if you go, go forward, there's a video that shows a design tool for designing electronics in micro bricks. Then if you go forward again, there's a video showing a first version of a, uh, an assembler to place them. And um, uh, the, um, Let's see, the next slide shows assemblers, I won't spend long on this, that robots that climb on structures they're building to build larger structures with composite materials to make airplanes that can change shape and designing space structures. Um, uh, and so all of that is digitizing, not the designs, but the materials themselves. And that ultimately has a, a really remarkable implication. So uh, slide 68, um, if you look at the internet, around a billion is when the internet original version ran out of computer addresses. There's now about a trillion devices on the internet, like a smart thermostat. Um, to understand a trillion, um, 
people, a typical number is a person has about a thousand things, just all different things around them. And so you can think about a trillion as a billion people, each with a thousand things. If you go to the smart thermostat, the Nest thermostat has the power of an early computer. And so this isn't a metaphor. One, one thousand, one million, one billion, one trillion. They all have roughly the same ability, but it's going from a million dollars to one dollar. So in the same sense, um, if, if we're going to have 50 years of digital fabrication performance, we're going to end up with the equivalent of the Internet of Things, but for manufacturing. So there, there's a problem. Uh, slide 69. Um, if you want to build at the resolution of a 3D printer with an assembler instead of a printer, it would take a day. But if you wanted to build at the resolution of a microstructure, it would take millions of years. And a million years is a long time to wait for output from a machine. So the solution in biology is the fabricator that makes you, called the ribosome, is slow. It makes one molecule a second, but ribosomes make ribosomes. So the number of ribosomes doubles. So you have millions in your cells and trillions in your body. And so it only takes a second to place a billion parts. And so um, you can design that directly. My lab's part of a collaboration uh, slide 70 to make completely synthetic cells from scratch. But in the research roadmap, what we're working on slide 71 is assemblers that assemble assemblers from the parts they're assembling, self-assembling assemblers. And so next slide, in the same way that there's a hierarchy in biology, there's emerging hierarchy in engineering. And so slide 73 is showing logic, actuation, mechanisms, all the things that go into modern technology, but broken apart into these little micro building blocks that, that we're developing in the um, research. Um, uh, next slide, um, th this has a number of implications. To program them, you have to represent a computer program as part of the construction of the machine. Um, so slide 75 shows a prototype, if you play the video, of a really interesting design tool. This is a design tool to design a communication of a computation to construct. It, it's a design tool that merges communication, computation, and fabrication to design self-reproducing machines, merging all of these attributes together. And so, um, and we're, we're working on a fun collaboration, next slide, is to try to make a video game version of that to teach those skills. So slide 77, stepping back. Um, modern computer architecture, the computer in front of you, is credited to John von Neumann. So he, he's, he's the founder of modern computer architecture. The last thing he studied in his life was a self-reproducing machine, a machine that communicates a computation to construct itself. It's really getting at the essence of what is life. 
he did that as a theoretical study, but the research um, is now making it possible to do that for real. Or another way to understand this last part of my introduction is um, this is bonus material for the movie The Martian, slide 78, where this is a program we did with 20th Century Fox on what is the science to create a civilization on Mars. And what we're really asking is what are the minimum building blocks to create a technological civilization? Ultimately, digital fabrication is asking what is this core set of minimal components you can compose to create all of civilization? And so here, let me jump back to, I should have put one more slide. So go to slide 68. Um, I, I will give you an index and then you can jump to slide 68. Um, to understand this last hour tour, computers in the middle column went from mainframes to minius computers to hobbyists to personal computers to Internet of Things. Manufacturing is now doing the same. Manufacturing is going from the million-dollar mainframes of manufacturing, like the MIT NC mill. Your fab lab is now like the um, $100,000 version, like the mini computer. In this class, you'll learn about the $1,000 version, which is like the machines making machines, which is like the personal computer. And the research upstream is filling in how you make the Star Trek replicator. But here's the really important part and why I'm starting the class this way. It's going to take maybe 50 years to finish all of that research, just like computers scaled for 50 years. We're right now right in the middle of that sequence. But again, email, video games, word processing, everything you do on a computer today happened in the mini computer era. So you're doing two things in this class. You're learning digital fabrication that is, exists today. But much more than that, you're learning, if anybody can make anything, what is business? How, what is education? How do we organize society? What is governance? How does the world change? You're going to learn the current technology. It's every year it's going to get faster, better, cheaper. But these bigger questions about um, if anybody can make anything anywhere are going to live through this transition. So you're learning both the technology, but you're learning it as a point on this uh, many-year arc. Okay. And so the very last slide is, um, uh, I have a recent book that came out that describes this whole history, and the Fab Foundation um, uh, is supporting those. So labs get free copies of the book if you want. There's a promotion through the Fab Foundation if you want a book copy. But that's what digital fabrication is. Okay. So let me pause before I start in on details on this class to ask if there's any quick questions or comments, and then we'll start in on the details on this class. Nope. <laughs> Go ahead. 
okay, if, if there aren't immediate questions, um, go back to, um, and again, th this is the only week we're going to have this screen share issue. Um, if you go back to the uh, Fab Academy site and the class archives and then 2018, um, in the schedule in principles and practices, um, the next thing I'm going to talk about is the sequence what's going to happen. Um, each week there's a cycle. I'm going to introduce a new skill. Then you go off and work in your lab. Um, we have global meetings where all the labs can work together. We have recitations where we bring in interesting people, like the United Nations Global Humanitarian Lab, for example, or you know, artists or people who develop the hardware and software you're using. Um, you'll do regional reviews, and then we rejoin. The class meets at this time because it ranges from 6 a.m. in California to 11 p.m. in Japan. So it's one time the whole world can join. Each class, the first 90 minutes is going to be a review of who did what. And so we have a random generator that'll pick out um, students. And you'll present to everybody what you did in that week. You'll be building a portfolio um, showing your work. And so we spend 90 minutes sharing uh, what you learned. And then we introduce a new topic. So if you go to the schedule, Today, obviously, there was no homework. After the break, we're going to have a few presentations, and then we'll meet the class staff, and then we'll meet all the labs. Uh, next week, you'll learn about managing projects, doing version control, and building websites. The week after that, you'll learn about computer design tools. Then you'll learn about cutting with lasers, um, and computer-controlled knives, um, one of the most popular tools. The week after that, you'll learn to produce electronics to make a circuit board. Then you'll learn about how to 3D scan and 3D print. Then, week after that, you'll be introduced to designing electronics. Week after that, you'll learn about how to do large format machining, how to use a big machine tool to make uh, big things. The week after that, you'll learn about starting to write programs for little computer chips for intelligence. Then you'll learn about designing mechanisms, then designing machines. Then you'll make a machine. Then you'll learn about output devices, controlling motors, lights, displays. Then you'll learn about molds to cast parts for production. Then you'll learn about sensors to read data in. The week after that um, is a, a wild card week where there's a couple different skills that come in each year. One is composites, um, one is sewing, one is bio. This is a week where we'll have a couple different options and then you can do any one of those. Week after that, we'll cover how to make networks, how to send data between things. Then you'll learn how to build interface programs to them. Then 
we'll cover a range of applications, what you can do with this. Then we'll talk about intellectual property, income, managing inventions, and then you'll do final presentations. Now, this is a crazy pace. Um, you could spend a year or years on any one of these skills. So what can you do in a week? Well, in a week you'll find if we take molding and casting, first you'll learn what it is. You'll learn why for many purposes molding and casting is more interesting than 3D printing. Then you'll learn to do the basics. You'll make a mold and you'll cast parts. Each week you'll learn to do a basic version of the skill. And then you'll learn where to go to progress further. And so those three things are what is it, an introduction to how to do it, and then how to go deeper is what we cover each week. Um, when I introduce it, it'll make sense. You'll get in the lab, you'll be completely confused, but then you spend a week with your peers and mentors uh, mastering the skill. In turn, what'll happen is you'll always be running out of the time. You're just beginning to get a skill and we're off to a new skill. But what's really happening is there's this whole cloud of knowledge to do this and we have to put it in through a linear path, your eyes and your ears, but sort of in your head, it'll knit together again. And so at the end of this, we do the final project, which is your first chance to merge all these skills together. And then a common comment is at the end of this very fast pace, the class isn't over, it really just begins. People then spend years sort of assembling and digesting what you learn. Um, most weeks, you do the assignments individually. We want you to learn each skill. The machine building is a collaborative project that you'll do as a lab. And then at the end, you'll present uh, the work you did in the final project, uh, merging all the skills. So by the time we're done, you will learn how to do each of these skills and you'll learn how to connect them and you'll know how to go more deeply. So that's the weekly cycle we're gonna do. Um, if you go to the link for today, um, the next link is, this is to something called the Fab Charter. And there's a version we're gonna um, develop for people to sign locally. It's just a very lightweight notion of rights and responsibilities. A lot of work and money and effort goes into making your lab available and making this possible. So in turn, we expect you to work safely to know boundaries for safety, um, to help with the running of your lab, and to help return the effort that goes into teaching you with sharing what you learn. Um, later on, we'll talk about no claims are made on intellectual property, and we'll talk about how to manage intellectual property other than transparency, that, that we um, discourage secrecy in the labs. We want you to learn from other people and to share from you. Um, so, but key is for your um, respecting your lab, leaving it in good condition, participating in the upkeep of the lab. That sounds easy. It, it gets harder to do in the heat of um, uh, when you're racing to get work done before a deadline. Um, through the semester, I'll talk about time management. There's a lot of skills we'll cover 
for how to do project management and time management, um, which again sounds straightforward and isn't. So this week's assignment is to plan and sketch a final project. It may or may not be the one you do. It's likely to evolve. But if you go back to the main class page, um, so if you go back to um, this page, um, at the bottom is a search engine. And I also have it linked from this week's assignment. Um, that's a Fab Academy search engine. So if you type, for example, uh, drones, you'll get all the projects that made drones. Or if you search for, um, let's try bees, you'll find projects that did beekeeping or bicycles or musical instruments. Um, you can use this to explore what people have done before. Um, if somebody did something before that you're interested in, that's not bad, it's, it's good. You don't have to completely reinvent from scratch, but what you need to do is know what's come before and um, take it further, build on the work of what's come before you. Now, the requirement for your final project is it has to integrate the skills we cover. Not every single one, but you have to show you can do additive and subtractive processes, and you can design electronics, and you can write programs in processors. And so you have to show the range of skills we cover that you can use that, not just use them separately, but integrate them. And so you can use the search engine to explore through it. Now, some people do each week's assignment separately and at the very end do a final project. Um, some people plan really carefully and use each week to lead to the final project. So the aquaponics system I showed you was a good example of um, Guillaume very carefully planned each week to make part of his final project and it all came together. That's great if that works. It can be hard because you get a lot of ideas as we progress. So it may or may not work to have each week lead to the final project or um, do it at the end. But this week's assignment is to look through what we're going to cover, look through years of what students have done in their projects, think about what you want to accomplish, and sketch it. Then next week's assignment is going to be you'll build a website and you'll actually present the final project plan in your website. And then during the weekly reviews, we'll talk to students and learn about what they're doing with their final projects and discuss them with the plans. Okay? So the, the main goal for this week is just to get you thinking about what you want to do for a final project. Okay? So before we take a bio break, let's pause. Um, does anybody have any questions or comments? No, Neil, I wanted just... Sorry, I wanted just to update uh, the instructors since we didn't have the prep on the status of the archive. Fiori, let's do that at the bio break. Sorry.
I have no idea. Okay, uh, Fiori, uh, let's do let's do that at the bio break. Okay. Okay. Um, this is for everybody else. This is Fiori Basili, um, who runs the infrastructure for the class, uh, and you'll meet Fiori after the break. Um, but yeah, at bio break we'll do that. Um, any other questions or comments about anything I covered? Give it a minute, take a little confidence to talk to a hundred site video conference. Yep. Um, just one, one comment um, on, on that. I have to, um, see there's a bit of a scheduling conflict, so I have to get out, so I can't be on the second part of the meeting. Ah, but, okay. uh, so who are you? So my name is Bas. Um, I'm, uh, uh, who? Um, I've been around the world almost, <laughs> ended up in Iceland. Um, with uh, with Fab Academy, and um, sorry, Bob, explain the origin story about how, how your relationship to Fab Academy and how you ended up in Iceland. So I um, uh, I was actually convinced by a colleague of mine at the time. Um, I was working at Wax Society in Amsterdam. Um, I was convinced by a colleague to um, go and participate in a Fab Academy program. Um, and uh, so I did Fab Academy, I participated in Fab Academy in 2012. Um, then I, um, uh, then the year after that, I, uh, I started teaching Fab Academy in uh, 2013. Um, and um, I uh, got more involved with uh, with the backend uh, um, and got more involved with uh, like writing down the um, um, like uh, what do we the the assessment um, the assessment guidelines as they as they were because I mean Fab Academy was growing and um, yeah things things got bigger so we needed to get something on paper. Um, uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, we can only see Neil. It would be nice to see Buzz also. Is there yeah, some setting on? I don't know why the video is not switching to boss. You, you could mute, Neil. If you mute, maybe he gets priority. Yeah, and maybe I'll also try to talk louder. <laughs> that could also help. <clears throat> um, because I can see Fiore switched to the front. Yeah, the, the weird thing is that some people switch and some people don't. I mean, if Fiore talks, we can see him. If boss talks, we can not see him. Okay. Let's not for, for time management. We should be seeing boss. I don't understand why. I'm going to do support with blue jeans after that. Let Let's use time well. So just boss, go ahead. Okay. So um, then, uh, so I, I I was teaching in Fab Academy in FabLab Amsterdam in 2013, uh, and I went to my first um, uh, FabLab conference that year in uh, in Japan. Um, and uh, there, I uh, um, uh, at almost at the end of the conference, I uh, I uh, um, was talking over some uh, some some good uh, Japanese hamburgers to uh, my good friend. Uh, well, now my good friend Frosty um, from Westmanair in Iceland, and um, I was uh, I was silly enough to mention to him that I was looking for another job. Um, and and lo and behold, half a year later, uh, I was in uh, in Reykjavik, Iceland. So, so <laughs> Bas, Bas is is one of the central staff that is managing the uh, documentation and then the reviews of your work. And this is really important because there's no single global accreditation for what we're doing here, but there's a lot of demand for these skills. And so we create our own global accreditation 
that's very carefully documented. So each of you is going to build a portfolio of your skills and then in various parts of the world um, work to get that recognized as a local accreditation. Okay, thanks, Bas. Um, yeah, thanks. Again, any other questions or comments before the break? Yeah, I have a question. Can... Go ahead, Rahul. Continue, continue. Hello. Yeah, so I wanted to know how do you know what to make in the final project? How do you visualize it? How do you idealize it? I mean, it's yep. a little so, bit confusing. Okay. Yeah, I understand. So for what do you make in the final project, um, that's going to be a process. So one part of that is use the links to prior years and use the search engine and just look at what other students have done. T touring their work will inspire a lot of ideas. So that's one thing. A second thing is each week during the review part of the class, we'll meet students and discuss their project ideas. And so um, part of each class will be um, getting ideas, talking to the students. But a part of it is I predict you'll find every single week when we cover a new skill, you'll turn around and say, ooh, that gives me a great idea for my project. And the problem will be not too few, but too many ideas. And then as we progress, it'll settle down. And so don't worry. This week gets you beginning to think about it, but each week will move that process along, you'll find. Uh, thanks, Neil. Any other questions or comments before the break? Very good. Okay, so if not, yes, go ahead, Salman Bahrain. Yep. My name is Ibrahim from Fab uh, Academy Bahrain. Yep. My question that, you know, because we are not having a good idea of might be like a bit difficult of think of a project that combines all here before, but can we change it later or? Oh, absolutely. So um, it's not at all binding. Um, as we progress, you're going to maintain a site logging your work on the progress. And your ideas will evolve through the semesters. It's not locked down. Um, as you progress, your ideas will change. One of the surprises is you're going to find things you think are really hard are easy, but things you think are really easy are hard. And one of the things we'll be helping you understand is that difference. So. This is just beginning that process. Your ideas will evolve as we work. The, the goal for this week is just to get you starting thinking. It'll evolve as we progress. Okay. Okay. Good. And congratulations to you too for being the first to speak up. Um, we, so this is about a 100-site video conference. It's really easy to broadcast. It's much harder to do big video conferences. But we do this so everybody can talk to everybody. You'll find the classes are very, very interactive. Um, you're encouraged and meant to speak up and participate. OK. 
So that's what the Fab Academy is. Here's what happens now. Um, we're going to take a 15-minute biology break. Um, instructors stay on. We'll check in with Fiori. At, um, in Boston time at 10.45, we'll rejoin. And then after the break, we have a few final presentations I'll explain. We'll introduce the rest of the class staff. And then we're going to do a lap around the world and meet all the labs. So um, students, 15-minute bio break. Uh, instructors stay on to check in with Fiori.